Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, good evening. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This is Masterclass Theology, and I am affectionately known as Big Rev. You might call me Joel. We are going to have a great time tonight. tonight. Tonight's scripture is not as challenging as last week's. Last week's was a, was a difficult one. Uh, this week, and if you haven't, if you haven't heard last week's, then uh, thankfully you, you, those of you can listen who are on the podcast right now, go back a week. You can listen on the podcast. And I thought it was, I felt really good about how we landed the plane last week, even though it was one of the harder, harder sections of the Bible, easily. And it's something that I had been not dreading, but it was, it was a harder one. So I feel really good about it. So if you haven't listened to the class or you missed it, or check out the podcast. And, uh, that's, and that's be good. I pray you'll be challenged and encouraged. So we continue to the exiles tonight. We are again in 1 Peter chapter 4. If you're not there, turn there now, please. You know, hello to Zoom and hello to out, those of you listening in podcast land and all my... All, all my great people here in person, thank you. We have some, some words, starting with A on the sheet here, attitude, abuse, and account, and then we will finish well. So let's open in a word of prayer, and then we will sally forth in First Peter chapter 4. God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for your Bible and how it challenges us and how it directs our life. And God, there's going to be so many moments tonight where we're going to ask tough questions and we're going to ponder key things about the way we live our life in these last days. And we need that kind of challenging, but also, Lord, the encouragement that comes with it. We're just so thankful for your word, O oh Lord, that we get to study it and that we have unity as we study it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's perspective. My mother gave me a perspective. Every day going to school, she said these words, without fail. She... Put your armor on. Keep your armor on. Put your armor on. And yes, that was it. Every single day, it was put your armor on. Put your armor on. Yes. That she was picturing the armor of God from Ephesians. That I'm going out into the world and I'm leaving her influence. I won't be at home with her. She won't have any way to influence me anymore. I'll be at school or I'll be here, here or there. So she's telling me to put my armor on, the shield of faith, the belt of truth. You know what I'm saying. There's something about that as an influence, as a perspective. I'm going, up, going out into the world, so I need to equip God's armor. And if you really think about the armor of God, it's really various character traits of God. You know, the faithfulness and the, the truthfulness. All these things that are really what it would look like to live God in the society. We get the same idea here in our text today. So I remember that a lot. Put your armor on, keep your, and then keep your armor on. I remember my mother as she watched us go onto the bus or leave the house in the morning to walk to the bus stop. Attitude, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, 
arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. So we have this first idea here, arm yourself with Jesus. I'll never forget that year of football I played going into the bowels of the, the, the gym complex where the storage unit was, and they said, Bradshaw, 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 okay, well, you're a, you're a sizable young man, so we're going to give you these shoulder pads, and let's try to find a helmet to fit that head of yours. Boy, that's a hard task there, kid. So they found me a helmet, they found me some shoulder pads, they issued me a bunch of pads for the rest of my person, kind of like you, uh, that, was the long, that was the hardest time getting dressed for football, is taking your football belt and threading the pads. You know, you got your butt pad, you got your thigh pads, you got all these pads going all the way around your, 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 your waist. And yeah, it took a long time just to thread the belt through the pads and then also through your pants so they'd all stay there. But yeah, getting equipped, it was about 40 pounds of armor a football player wears. It was fun. But yeah, arm yourself with Jesus. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. So we get this idea from Paul that we are to put on the new self, take off the old self. It's kind of like a, a dirty shirt taking off and a clean shirt putting on. It's like you're clothing yourself with Christ in the morning. It's like, oh, I'm going I'm to go about my day, but I'm going to put Jesus on. So this attitude that Jesus had as he suffered. And we live for God now, even even though we might suffer, we might just suffer, but we live for God now. And you've got you to put yourself in the shoes of, of, of these first century Christians. They were thinking Jesus was coming back at any time. Like they were thinking, maybe tomorrow. Like, what do we do? What are we supposed to do if he's coming back right away? And they had this expectation, he was going to come back soon. We have the expectation that he comes back next. You track me? I don't, know, I don't know if it's soon as in tomorrow. But theologically speaking, in terms of the plan of salvation, it is next on God's calendar. Jesus comes back. But we might suffer, but live for God now. Even if these are the last days. Even if your mind is going to heaven. Live for God now. There's a way you can live right now, even if you have to suffer even if you struggle, hmm, arm yourself with Jesus. You can arm yourself with that same attitude. To have the attitude of Christ, even as you go about the crap in your day, the junk in your day, I'm going to have Christ's attitude? Yeah, dang, that's great. That's a, I'm waking up and I am putting my feet on the floor. I haven't yet quite made my cup of coffee, but... Um, but yeah, here I am. I'm going to arm myself with Christ. I'm going to arm myself with him. It's going to be my armor that I'm going to put on. So the question is, what is your struggle? What is the thing you're struggling with? And by the way, don't let yourself off the hook. Don't give me that, oh, it's my cross the bear. 
That, by the way, is a very rated R image, if you think about it. Bearing a cross, you're marching up a, a hill, carrying the thing you're going to die on. Dang, your blood's going to cover that cross? Wow. Now, what's your struggle? Each of us has something we struggle with. Maybe it's a hurt we have. Maybe it's a habit that we have. Maybe it's a hang-up we can't move past. Maybe it's a really toxic relationship. Maybe it is a character flaw. Maybe you have an idol in your life that needs to not be there anymore. Maybe you are. I don't know what your struggle is, but what is that struggle? And then there's a follow-up question to that that is a kind of a logical question. If you are, if you do have a struggle, are you actually struggling? You could just, oh, I, you could just name it. I'm going to be transparent. I struggle with this. Do you? Because struggle means you're putting up some kind of resistance. You're not just accepting it. Oh, that's just my, my, my cross to bear. That's just what I have to deal with. No. You're putting on Christ attitude. That's attitude. Next section, abuse, three to four. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. And we have here, I think, um, two of these are going to be linked to sex. Two of these are going to be linked to alcohol. And one is going to give the context for them all. Idolatry. Like you're having these drunken parties in worshiping a deity. You're having these, sorry, sex parties worshiping a deity. So it was really hard. Uh, it was hard in the ancient world for Israel to get rid of the idols. Because, I mean... We go back to the Balaam story when they first met Baal. Moabite women came out with meat. There was meat and sex. That was Baal. And they struggled with Baal worship for a long time. We don't have to fill in the blanks there. Same idea here. Worshipping Diana or worshipping Zeus or worshipping Jupe. All these other gods and goddesses that had prostitution linked to it and had various festivals. It was difficult. So here we go. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and, and detestable idolatries. So the idolatry there is the context. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you. There's a blessing of the past actually being your past. I like how Peter says here, you spent enough time. It's as if he's saying, enough already. Enough. If that used to be you, let that sentence be true. Well, that used to be me. Therefore, it is no longer me. There's a blessing of your past actually being your past. Now, many of us have a past we regret. We have wounds from our past. We have hurt from our past. There is a blessing of putting the past in its place. Really great book by Pastor Steve Viers, Putting Your Past in His Place. Love it. I've used it in counseling many, many times. Your past doesn't have to control everything about you. But that's not exactly what we're talking about here. This is doing things in the past that you know you shouldn't be doing. You spent enough time making that be you. There is a blessing of your past actually being your past and not your present. Verse 4 says, They are surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. 
I've had moments like that. I, I'm, you, you've, you've heard my story enough, or you've heard me comment on my story enough. Great seasons of my own hypocrisy, but I've also had seasons where I've had guys who look at me and go, wow, JB doesn't do that. And they, they're fine with it. Other times they're like, seriously? You're not going to do this with us? Uh, I remember a time in college where, this is a little risque, but uh, the guys, it was guys and girls actually, I felt really embarrassed. They wanted to go streaking and run around mm-hmm. campus. And like, JB, you're going to go, oh, you're probably not going to go. No, I'm not going to go, guys. I'm just not going to do that. And I wish I could say things like, yeah, you know what, I'll just kind of stay back and hold your clothes for you. You go do your thing. No, I was really uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do, what to say. It was a very hard moment. I didn't get any abuse. For some reason, they respected me. But that might not be your story. You may not have participated, and you may have gotten something coming at you. I don't know. But we get the picture painted here that that's what they were getting. Verse 4, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. If you want to think of buying and selling, in the ancient world, you had everything was, was, had, like, it was kind of unionized with their guilds. And so if you participated in the guild, you participated in their reckless, wild parties. And therefore, you got in good with the guild, and you can therefore do this, this, and this. You could purchase this, this, and this, and sell this, this, and that. Okay, But you had to be a part of that whole scheme. And so for somebody who's claiming a different kind of faith that they already don't understand, and now they're saying, oh, you're not going to do this kind of stuff, these kind of community parties, it'd be kind of like being a great neighbor on your block, but you never attended the block party. Nobody ever got to know you. You'd feel kind of weird about that. Well, it's a block party. I probably should meet my neighbors. It has that idea. They don't understand why you're not meeting with them. They're surprised that you don't join them. Well, guess what? That surprise should be a good thing. Give them something to be surprised about. I love in Hebrews where it talks about the faith, the Hall of Fame chapter, and it says, the world was not worthy of them. Is the world worthy of you? Woo! Are they really surprised that you're not joining them? I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Or, or not. I don't know. Give them something to be surprised about. You're not going to do that past anymore. How do they view the Christians back then, um, haters of humanity, politically disloyal? What do you mean you don't worship Caesar? Are you an insurrectionist? What do you mean you don't worship Caesar? Are you politically on the other side of Caesar? Who do you think you are? I mean, that was the whole Roman world. Remember, you know, Cassius and Brutus, and they, they, they stabbed Julius Caesar how many times? The idea of, you know, betrayal... Imagine these Christians coming on the scene worshiping Jesus and not worshiping Caesar or all the other gods and goddesses. Imagine the attacks they received. You are so abnormal. What is your deal? Can't you just be like everybody else? Ooh, who's heard that? Can't you just be like them? They're not doing that. Why can't you just do it like them? So, the question now for you is, how are you viewed? The people in your life, the people who know you best, the people who don't know you best. How are you viewed? How's your testimony amongst the people that God brings into your life? What do they say about you? Do they heap abuse on you? 
Are they at all surprised? Is your past actually your past? I mean, these are fair questions. I, I, ha I have to, to, to deal with these myself. When I see the old Joel come creeping back up, no. The old Joel cannot come into this conversation. He was put to death. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The, at that old Joel needs to be dead and crucified and buried, not present. And there's an old one of you, too. The former you. Attitude and abuse and account here, 4, 5, and 6. 4 verses 5 and 6. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. See, we like this because some of us look at this world and we see a lot of evil, and we see a lot of evil continuing to win, and it irks us. And it makes us feel bad. And we, 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 we struggle with that. We, we really, really, it's, it's a hard thing to do. And we see evil beginning to win when it shouldn't be winning. When we expect the things of God to be winning, it hurts. It's confusing. We look at our, what do we used to say? We look at our society going to hell in a handbasket. I mean, Seriously? It is comforting to know that God will indeed fully and finally judge evil one day. That that is the reality. Regardless of who's in control right now, regardless of who's in control tomorrow, and we're dealing with, with a Nero in this time, and I mean, you, you pick your favorite president and you'd like or dislike, he ain't Nero. So, God will indeed fully and finally judge evil. So when, whenever they're reading this, they're reading, we will be vindicated. All this abuse, all this slander from last week, all these things we're having to endure for the sake of Christ, one day we're going to be vindicated. We get the idea in Revelation, the martyrs are underneath the throne and they're calling out, how long, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord, before our deaths essentially are going to be vindicated? And God tells them, not yet. Their number needs to increase more. A really awkward answer to prayer. When evil is judged, those who belong to Christ will be vindicated. They would have read that as they suffered. Because I read that. A casual reader of a Psalm 73 why do the evil keep prospering? We have a body-spirit dichotomy again. Let's read that again. For this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead. Notice it doesn't say the gospel was preached to the dead. We're not preaching to the dead. We're not preaching or praying for the dead. We're not saying a mass for the dead. Anything like that was preached to those who, by the way, who happen to now be dead. They received this gospel in the past, and now they happen to be dead. We're not preaching it now. Don't misunderstand this. For this reason, the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What in the world is that all about? Well, 
We talked about the body and spirit dichotomy last week. And the body, the flesh, is linked to the here and now and sin. And we see this in the gospel. Any good gospel proclamation is going to have some variation of the wages of sin is death. Okay? That sin equals death. If you want to go to the Garden of Eden with those fingers of mine, they sinned and they, they, they were like this with God, then they sinned and they were, the fingers move away. They were separated from God. Okay? That separation. And that separation led to death. It was a great many years later, but, it, but yeah. So, if all we had were the body, the wages of sin would equal death. And it would only equal death. So those who receive the gospel and who happen to now be dead, when they're judged only by human standards, the wages of that sin is death. They therefore die. But if that's all they have, if they do not receive the gospel, they do not accept the gospel, they do not give their, they do not, you know, commit themselves to Jesus and become his disciple, trusting in him alone for their salvation, all they get is death. If all we have is the body in this body, body, you know, spirit kind of dichotomy here, if all we have is the body, then, then, then the wages of sin is death and only death. But because of the spirit, the wages of sin still equal death. But now we have the gift of life to come. Now we have that hope. So we have that idea here that the gospel is preached even to those who are dead so that they might be judged. We're going to be judged according to human standards. That same idea, they were being judged the abuse coming upon them, all these things. But that's just not the end. We Christians have a second. Like the great white throne, like the beam of judgment seat. So we, we, have, we have a second judgment, okay? This is, we have the idea here that because we have the Spirit, death is not the final chapter of our stories. Sin, therefore, is not the final chapter of our stories. The gift of God called grace, eternal life, so now, we don't just die to the, to the flesh. We now live according to the Spirit. As we talked last week, to march, to keep in step with the Spirit, to produce fruits of the Spirit. We're born again. This time, according to the Spirit, not just the flesh. So, God will indeed judge evil. But there's hope as we suffer, we may suffer and that suffering may lead to a bodily death. As for these Christians, some of them were martyred. Many of them were martyred. I, I can't faithfully say that most of them were martyred. I just don't know. But there's hope. And that hope is what gives us joy even at a Christian funeral. Because we mourn, but we mourn with hope. Even though we have to suffer a bodily death, we have that resurrection hope because of the Spirit. That Spirit is life, eternal life, or at least eternal life for the Christian. Seven to eight, finish well, part one. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Pause for one second. That's kind of a groovy verse. Okay, so I'm not going to get drunk. I'm not going to be distracted. Now I'm going to pray. 
one of those kind of foxhole prayers, maybe a distracted prayer. Okay, God, if you're out there, kind of give me this, you know, this, the yada, yada. No, alert and sober-minded. You see, there's certain things that affect prayer. He's letting us know. Dang. Be alert and sober-minded. And we kind of get the idea there that with one of those words is that, is that nothing is in control of you. And the other word, kind of like you're in control of, 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 of you. So you're not intoxicated, but you have more self-control. Okay, don't be drunk on wine, be filled with the Spirit, kind of the idea. Okay, be of alert and sober minds so that you may pray. Live in a way that you're ready to receive biblical guidance. Now pray to receive biblical guidance. Notice I'm not saying pray for God to audibly speak to you outside of the Word of God. There's a great difference between the Bible being open and, and saying God speak to me and the Bible being closed. These people are in the last days. They thought Christ was coming back any minute. And so it's like, okay, how am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to live? What am I supposed to do with all this? I'm suffering. I'm going through this. I'm going through that. Be ready. You're not ready if you're drunk. You're not ready if you're high. You're not ready if you're distracted. You're not ready if you're, you know, putzing around on your phone. Be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Be ready for biblical guidance to be given to you. And then pray that way. Pray that God would give you that biblical guidance as you are to endure in this evil world. How does God expect me to live? Well, I'm going to turn to this chapter and God, I'm ready for God to tell me. I'm not going to stand in God's way. I'm not going to poke God in the eye. I'm not going to give up on God. I'm not going to do any of these things. I am ready and so I'm going to be fed by God's word and given my direction. I'm ready for it and I'm turning to him to receive it. Those things affect prayer. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. And he's talking about, you know, by this you will know that you're, they, they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. The idea here, love one another. You see, that kind of love brings unity when the whole world is beating on you and is trying to divide you and distract you and, 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 and pummel you and, and to get you schismed and, and fractured. Love unites. Above all, above all, not above most, not above, you know, two or three things. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What that is not saying is you have to be a doormat, you have to be an enabler, you have to put up with somebody who is abusing you and who needs to change and they belong to Christ so they should have changed a long time. No, 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 that's not what it's talking about here. But that perspective, that love, covers over. The idea here is that I have, a, I have a campfire in front of me. And it's on fire. It's just going crazy. I hold in my hand a can of gasoline. In my other hand, I hold a bucket of water. What am I tossing on that fire? Love tosses the water. If forgiveness is possible, love forgives. There's something about solidarity here when the world's trying to divide us apart. 
Again, steps might need to be taken. You might be able to forgive and not be able to trust that person for a good long while. I understand. But love is seeking to be united as a family. Maybe a capital F family. I'm so glad I belong to the family. I'm a part of the family of God. Okay, yeah, that idea. Again, we're not, we're not putting up with abuse. We're not, we're not saying if somebody's in danger, you just, you, just, you just, oh, I'll just look the other way. No, 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 we're not talking about that. We're not talking about if a wife is abusing her husband or a husband's abusing her wife. We're not talking about if somebody's hurting. No, 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 no. We're being appropriate with all this. But if it is, if it, it's like in Romans 12, as, as, long, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with someone else, with one another. It's like if it's on you, if it depends upon you, don't dump the, the gas on the fire, dump the water. End of the account, forgive. If it depends upon you, on your end, forgive. There's something to be said about that kind of love. That kind of love was shown to you as your insurmountable debt was forgiven. That's the kind of love. And that kind of love, I guess in the grief share world, we look at forgiveness as... It's really tempting to look at forgiveness like a mirror. And you look at the mirror and say, well, I would never have done that. How dare they keep doing that? I would never have done that. I would expect you not to forgive me if I have done that. No, don't look at it as a mirror, as if you're the standard. Look at, look at forgiveness as a window. And you look at that window, and you see that person that God loves, that Jesus died for, and that Jesus is commanding you as far as it depends upon you to be reconciled with. He is the standard. You're arming yourself with Jesus. Finish well, part one. Do, you, does he, do these things describe you? Sober-minded, alert, praying for God's guidance and turning to God's word to receive it? Being ready to be equipped? Or do you have the, everything figured out? Do you love that way? It's like he's quoting, um, is it Proverbs 12? Um, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Are you a stirrer? Are you a coverer? I'm just saying. It's the Holy Spirit psalm. It's not mine. Peter's bringing, or Proverbs, excuse me, it's not mine. Peter's bringing it up here. We've got to think about this, because we have people who are horrible to us. We have people who continue to be horrible to us. But God is going to call, we're going to give an account upon our attitude now. They'll give an account on their own issues. But you will stand before Almighty God. What did you dump on that fire? Finish well part two, nine to 11. Offer hospitality to one another without, to one another without grumbling. This would have been huge. They had itinerant preachers back then who traveled. You know, Paul being a very famous one. And this hospitality Peter's talking about is as long as the traveling preacher is in your town and he continues to preach, he stays for free and eats for free. Church, hook that up. And do so without grumbling. Dang. Now, he's not taking advantage of it. He's, he, he's got to be doing work. He's got to be, you know, serving God and doing the gospel. That, the, the huge thing where Paul says, hey, I didn't do that with you. I could have gotten that, but I didn't get that. I worked tirelessly. Paul was bivocational so as not to do this. 
But that's the way it was back then. Traveling preachers got that. They're doing the work and they're, they're bringing with them letters to be read, letters as in the New Testament, things that are being read on a cycle, you know, various churches getting the Bible read to them by these preachers. There you go. They stay for free and they have their room and board taken care of while they're there doing the work. That's a way in which we as a church could care for people in this weird Roman world that we're in that hates us. We can be known for that without grumbling. Verse 10, each of, us should, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Peter drops the mic right there. What is service? Service is a faithful management and distribution. Think back in the days of a, of, a, of a house slave or steward, like a Joseph in Potiphar's house. He managed things. God has gifted you. He's given you something to manage. How are you managing it? How are you distributing that? Are you faithful? It's not yours. It belongs to God. But how are you serving? Service also leads to God's glory and praise. Yet we have purpose here. We have purpose. I've counseled, you know, plenty of, of, of these happen to mostly be men who have said, I just don't know, I don't have a job, I just feel lonely, I've got nothing, and I just have no purpose. And so we look at purpose. So you don't have all these things that the world's telling you you need. Do you still have a purpose? Yes. Yes. To glorify God. The way you are to live your life, you don't have a job, you don't have a marriage, you don't have kids, you don't have, I don't know, a 401k plan. You don't have any of these things the world's telling you you need. And you're therefore not complete without that. You're therefore a less of a person without that. You don't have a relationship. You don't have all these things, whatever. Whatever it is that you're looking at yourself and saying, I don't have that, so what is my purpose? Your purpose is to glorify God. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So... You can't control how God has gifted you. You can control the attitude you use while you use that gift. The attitude you have, you can't control how God has gifted you. You can control the attitude you have as you use your gift. I want to close with something I tell my children every day. Every day that I drop them off of school, we call this a school prayer. Some of you know this school prayer. You've heard me say it before. And we even have a school, a prayer street. So the kids are, you know, yapping or yapping, yapping as we're driving in. It's now both kids because, you know, my, my daughter is old enough to, to be dropped off at the same school. And uh, so, yeah, they're just yapping and talking about things. and They're just ready to talk in the morning. It, it's amazing how much they can talk without having that first cup of coffee, <laughs> which they don't have. They wake up ready to talk. Daddy, 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 I got to tell you about this. Oh, kids. Oh, just let me drink my coffee real quick. And I wake up earlier. Those of you who recognize that I, I, I write a devotion in the morning, I have to wake up extra early for that because they want to yap during that devotion time too. And I think, okay, I got to get up extra early, brew that cup of coffee, do my Facebook devotion. Okay, here's all this. And now, you know, all right, wake up. And I was, you know, okay, now they're ready to go. Okay, so we get to our prayer street. And that is, I call out in the midst of their blah, 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 prayer street, and they're supposed to be quiet. 
when I say Prayer Street. If not, I'll say it again. I'll remind them, hey, this is Prayer Street. It's about a block and a half away from where I drop them off. And I pray this prayer. It's now for both the kids. God, please watch over them today as they go to school. Help them have a good day at school. I pray for them, Lord, to listen to their teachers. I pray for them both to be a good friend. I used to change that. I, that used to be something else about friendship. This is you can't control who your friends are, but you can be a good friend. Listen to their teachers, be a good friend, and I pray third of all to make it, they would make good decisions, all for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. That's the school prayer. They get perspective in that moment. I've made all kinds of blunders as a man, as a, even as a daddy, but th that's a good moment for me. They get that every time I drop them off. That perspective on how they are to be that day, on what I'm expecting of them. And if I'm having a good evening at the dinner table, it follows with, okay, kids, what was the time today at school you listened to your teachers? When were you a good friend? They know they're going to face those questions. I wish that was more dinners than not. I confess that, that probably not. But I have some good dinners, too, where that happens. And I'm proud of those dinners. That school prayer every morning is a perspective kind of prayer. I had a couple times in my life where I needed perspective. I needed to be told to finish well. In fact, finish well is a hashtag from my dad. My dad, um, he's, finish well, son, finish well. I remember I was, I was in college, I was pre-med, and that med school door was closing, and I didn't know what to do. So a lot of my depression kind of came from that time. And I was lonely, and I was hurting, and I was just didn't have a clue what to do. And I had this biology degree that I didn't, or almost, almost at a degree. I, what am I supposed to do? I can't go. I'm, I hear I've been wanting to be a doctor all my life, and it seems like that door is closing. What do I do? I remember talking to my dad. I usually didn't call my dad. I called my mom. I wish I'd have called my dad more because he's now in heaven. My dad told me, he says, you know what, son? Finish your biology degree. Get that done. You at least have that. I, I, I was kind of at the time feeling a call to ministry, but I wasn't quite sure. My dad said, you know, pray about that more. Maybe seminaries in your future. I don't know. Well, you can check that out. Finish your degree. But son, finish well. <coughs> Another time. A little church was facing a hard season, a really hard choice. And I struggled with this idea of a, a much larger church was, was asking, hey, would you like to consider merging with us? And as we talked about it and prayed about it, what that would mean is that we as a church would end to become a part of this larger church. And I'm speaking these words right now on the very grounds of where we had these meetings. And I remember talking to my hero. He's now, he's now in heaven. His name is Jerry. And he was just, we didn't have many talks about this, but uh, I didn't have many talks left with him before God called him home. And I was like, what do I do? What do I do at the moment like this? Does it mean I'm a failure as a pastor? 
I couldn't grow this church. I couldn't. All I could do was just hang on to this church for so many years before we merged with another church. Am I just a failure? I'm struggling with that. And he says, Joel, consider this. Maybe God brought you to that church to slowly put it to bed and to transition to something greater. That blew my mind. I had not once considered that. I thought of that when I talked to my dad. One of the rare times where I cried with my dad. Finish well. We don't know exactly what God is doing here, but you're wanting to glorify God with this. You're leading your little church to deny themselves, to pick up a cross and follow Jesus. Son, once again, finish well. You see, the perspective there was the gospel. We can glorify God even as we deny ourselves. We can follow Jesus even if we say no to ourselves, even as we arm Christ upon ourselves. Perspective. What perspective do you maintain? What perspective do you maintain? How does God expect you to live? What perspective do you maintain? How does God expect you to live? This chapter has given us some pointers. It has steered us in the right direction, I hope. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged. This has been Big Rev from 1 Peter chapter 4, Masterclass Theology. Thank you for letting me share. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.